Any other heavy sleepers? When I sleep, I'm sleeping. I've told my wife several times, if the house ever started on fire, just, just save yourself. It's a, it, take, it takes too long to get me up to snap me out of it. And, and when I do wake up, even when I do wake up, it isn't that I don't like waking up in the morning. I, I'm not a morning person. It's not because I hate mornings or hate waking up in the morning. It's because it just takes me so long to wake up. I just, I, it takes me, it's a long process to get out of dream world <laughs> and into reality. And now I know we're all different. I've got, I have a friend, actually my stepdad, my stepdad's a light sleeper. In fact, if, his name's Mike. If you walk into a room and he's across the room laying in bed sleeping, you just go, he pops right up. What? It's, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's, it's unbelievable. And then I, I know there's, I have friends who are morning people, and it's so obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. I, I had, a, I had a, a, a thing that we had to do, me and a friend of mine, and he came to my house. We had to leave at 5 a.m. So he came to my house at 5 a.m. Wide awake. 5 a.m. I'm still, like, trying to figure out, you know, who I am, who God is, who people are, what a car is. I'm still trying to wake up, and this guy's got music blaring, and he's asking questions. He's raring to go. And just, just like that, he wakes up, and he's ready. You know, the, 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 the same is true for a spiritual life. There are people in life who spiritually are sound asleep, deep sleep. You can hit them over the head repeatedly with the truth. It doesn't bother them a bit. They just keep on sleeping. And then there are those, some of those that, that, that maybe are lightly asleep. And, and they're, 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 they're kind of wake up when you, when you call their name. When you speak some truth to them, it kind of it moves them a little bit. And of course, there are those who... Once they are awake, man, they're wide awake. They, they spiritually hit the ground running. They're the person that, that one day they're not a Christian. The next day they signed up for every group in the church, right? They're going to every Bible study. They're just on fire and they're hungry just like that. And then, of course, there are some of us who, well, okay, we've come to Christ, but we're, we're still a little bit, man, if we're making it on Sunday morning, leave us alone, right? We're, we're still kind of waking up to the realities of the Christian truth in Jesus Christ. And throughout our walk, we certainly can fall asleep, right? This is what Jesus reminds us, and the Bible reminds us. Paul constantly pleads with us to stay awake. And as we come into this passage of Scripture, we read in the opening verse there, in, in verse 11, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And the Pharisees are sleeping. A sign from heaven? We're in the eighth chapter of Mark. What, what else does he have to do? How many more people should he heal before the Pharisees wake up? How many more sermons of truth and the power that the Gentiles and all the rest are in awe of do they, does he need to preach for the Pharisees to wake up? And see, they weren't asking him to heal one more person. They weren't asking him to do another miracle. What they are asking for was a sign that God would do something to prove 
that he was sanctioned by God himself. But they didn't do that because they were wondering if Jesus Christ was sanctioned by God. They, they weren't wondering, is this the Messiah? I, I'm not quite sure. We, we've all struggled with that kind of, that kind of thing where we're, we're, just, we're struggling in our faith and, and we, we ask God, you know, I'm a believer, help me in my unbelief. Help me to see some things. This isn't the Pharisees' posture. The Pharisees' posture is exactly the posture of Satan when he was in the wilderness. It was to entrap our Lord. It wasn't to, to, to wonder. It was the denial that he is who he says he is. And we're going to now trap you. Look at the language around that. They were arguing with him. And they wanted to test him. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 quotes Deuteronomy when he's talking to Satan. And Satan's trying to test him, constantly trying to test him, tempting him and tempting him. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is exactly what we should see when we read this verse. We should see the snare that Satan has on these Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. There are so many in the world that are sleeping this deeply. Born and raised in the United States of America, or really in the West, anywhere in the West, they will ask, what has Christianity ever done? What more does Christianity have to do in order for you to realize that there is a serious blessing upon the words in this Bible, in this worldview, that there is truth that, that just scatters throughout it has benefits on all. What more does Christianity have to do as we think of science? Science isn't opposed to God, by the way. It was started by Christians as a form of worship that we can, we can look in and exactly what we were saying this morning. To, to not look into worship uh, the, the atoms and the things like that, but to see those things and just get our, our minds blown on how awesome and mighty and creative and good our God is. It's because of, it's because of Christianity that these things were funded and pursued as a means of worshiping God. You think of the technology that Christianity has put into the world. Medicine is from Christianity. All kinds of arts and architecture, literature, music, philanthropy, philosophy, ethics, theater, business, all heavily, heavily influenced by Christianity. Think of education. It would not exist. Higher education would not exist without Christianity. We have those who, 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 who claim the Bible as hate speech, that Jesus Christ is no more than a man, try to bolster women. Who has done more for women than Christianity? And yet they still come and say, show me a sign. Show me your worth. Fast asleep. Fast asleep. We don't, I don't want to get into an apologetic sermon, but certainly we can go on and on about the proofs and the things that, that, that point to the validity and the truth 
of Christianity and its claims. Here's the point, though. It doesn't matter to these people. It's not even worth engaging with them because they're fast asleep. They're coming as an accusatory spirit. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to catch Christianity in a lie. Verse 12 tells us our reaction. Or verse 12 tells us our Lord's reaction. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. So that's some of that is lost in our English translation. What we read here is that our Lord and Savior becomes angry. He is angered by the Pharisees. It, it, it's a, something has pushed him to his limits. And he actually quotes a, uh, an old Jewish an old Jewish um, saying, which is basically something to the extent of, if a sign is shown to this generation, may I die. In other words, he's not, he's not even going to not show them a sign. He's going to make sure that no shine, sign is sh- shown to this generation. What generation is that? This one. This one. It's the unbelieving generation. It's the generation that denies. It's the generation in the wilderness complaining about the manna from heaven. It's the generation who constantly questions this Lord, who constantly wants to post idols up and worship idols. Over and over, generation after generation, year after year, man would rather worship idols than bow before the one true God. And then in this particular generation in the West, we want to do that with impunity. We want to do that and deny the existence of hell and damnation. sleeping deeply. Deeply. Having no idea that the things that we discuss, the things that we argue about are not moral. And they're not political. They're spiritual. That we're not dealing with the left versus the right or the good versus the bad. We are dealing with Satan versus our Lord. Everything boils down to that. And those who are asleep in it are on the wrong side. I paused there because I just, I read something. This debate was going on in Twitter. This Christian was sticking up for for principle and they're doing it rightly. They were doing it in a loving way. And people kept using this hashtag. Now, I don't know that everybody here knows what a hashtag is, but, but basically they were saying this to this person, wrong side of history. And it, it can feel like that sometimes as a Christian, if we're bolstering these things, that, that we're on the wrong side of history. 
what I can tell you as we're studying on Wednesday night Revelation, no, we're not. No, we're not. Revelation, by the way, boils down to this. Jesus Christ wins. This next statement here in this next verse in verse 13, what an awful thing this is. And he left them. He got into his boat and went to the other side. What an awful, awful thing. To deny Jesus and deny Jesus and deny Jesus and deny Jesus and deny the truth and refusing to wake up to the point where Jesus goes, you know what? No more. I give you into your philosophy. I give you into your worldview. You can have it and you can live with it. I'm done. We, we see this over and over. This should put in us an angst, a concern, a serious concern for those who are not saved, those who continue to sleep deeply. Because Jesus, see, he knows the man of heart. He knows when he's not going to be able to turn somebody. We don't see that. And so we must constantly and consistently, without ceasing, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the truth in love and boldness to all men and women and children who are walking asleep, praying that they do not experience the day while here on earth in this life when Jesus turns from them and leaves. What a sobering verse that is. So we say we're Christians, though. We're all Christians. We're here. We're not asleep. So the question comes, becomes, what about us, right? What about those who follow Jesus Christ? The next few verses is going to talk about that. And it starts out by, by Mark telling us that Okay, so he's leaving the Pharisees, and, and it probably, you can picture, like, he's just done with these. He tells his disciples, let's go. And they hop in the boat, and so in their haste, they forgot to bring bread. They forgot to bring bread for them to eat. And they noticed this, and, and, and in, this, in verse 15, he, he cautions them, so they, they don't have any bread, so he cautions them, and he says, watch out, beware of leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So, so leaven, yeast, as we probably know, is just fermented dough, which makes bread rise. And in the Bible, more times than not, it is used as a figurative language or a metaphor for corruption or evil. And, and Jesus is serious about what he's saying. Like, this is one of those things, you know how, like, when he'll say, like, like, if you have ears, listen. Like, lean in. I'm about to tell you something. That's one of these moments. Like, what I'm about to say is really important. Some of the Greek language used here is like a command, a demand. Like, I need your attention now. You need to hear this and heed this. He, he even says in, in our English, we can see it. He says it twice. Watch out and beware. Back to back. Two times. Give me your attention. This is important. What's important? That you beware of the yeast of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. So we ought to be wondering, what's this yeast? What is the yeast of the Pharisees and, and of Herod so that I can be aware of it, that I can watch out for it? 
The yeast of the Pharisees is, is hypocrisy. Again, we see this over and over throughout all of the Gospels, all four Gospels. In Matthew 15, he, Jesus Christ um, says, you hypocrites, talking to the Pharisees, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He's saying, beware of hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy in others. Beware of hypocrisy in our own lives. That, that we don't think that we're pleasing to God because of what we're doing. That the only thing that pleases God is where our hearts are postured. That we know and understand fully that we are wretched men and women deserving of hell and hell alone. But because of him and his love, he has come and saved us. That Jesus Christ has done it all. If we ever begin to bolster ourselves before the Lord or before others because of our Christian position, we are in danger of this love. This is the hypocrisy he's talking about, the self-righteousness and the blindness of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. That everything I am is because of who he is. Everything. And that I pray that way and I treat others in that manner. to beware of the, fair, the, the leaven of hypocrisy. And also of Herod. Remember Herod. We, we had a sermon a few weeks ago on Herod. Who he killed, he's the guy who killed John the Baptist. Remember, this guy was torn, right? This was a guy who enjoyed the, the, the teaching of John the Baptist, would often have him come to his, his, his palace and, and, and preach a word to him. But he was a double-minded man. He, he, he was the one who... who who enjoyed the word of God. He, he seemed to want the kingdom of God, but he wanted the kingdom of God without denying this world. He wanted the kingdom of God without denying himself. In other words, he wasn't interested in repenting. He was only interested in entering the kingdom of God. I mean, eternal life sounds good. I mean, somebody tells you, you know, you're going to go to hell. If you don't want to go to hell, say this prayer, receive Jesus. Man, I don't want to go to hell. But, but in order to not go to hell, in order to have the kingdom of God, we must repent. We must turn fully from this world. Deny ourselves constantly. Galatians 5 tells us a little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump. This is so important. I, I think of God when he commanded the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites. He said, wipe them out completely. And they wiped them out 98%. Just a little bit left. 
And as you read that story unfold, that little bit corrupted that whole nation. It's all it took was that little bit to corrupt all of Israel. So we must be aware of these things. We must guard against these things. Barna studies are um, disheartening. <laughs> Christian Barna studies are disheartening. There's a lot of yeast working through Christ Church. A lot. I don't remember the stats, and I didn't write them down, but you would be surprised how many people do not believe this is the inerrant word of God. People who claim to be Christians. People who claim to be Christians who believe that marriage is a man-made thing and man can do whatever they want to it. Christians who, who think that their body is their own and they can just decide what they want to be. God forbid. Christians who do not see abortion as genocide. It, it stems from a biblical illiteracy. We, we've just allowed this leaven to work in and as I even just scour YouTube, you just put in Christian preachers and these are Christian celebrity preachers and it's incredible how all the most popular ones are heretics. And if you approach people that you love and say, listen, you probably shouldn't listen to this person. They're preaching heresy. You get the response, the very sleepy response. You're just judgmental. No. No, I love you. I'm telling you the truth. We must watch the false teachers in our lives. We must guard against the people in our lives with this kind of leaven and certainly our own hearts. Jesus is serious about this. This leads to death. Again, it, it, it was a horrible thing for Israel. So his followers are not in the deep sleep that the Pharisees are. We, we know that. He's, he, he's following them. But they, they're often falling back asleep, right? They're often taking naps when they shouldn't take naps. Or, or at the very least, they're taking a long time to fully wake up. Uh, there's, it's like, you're, this is your 16th cup of coffee. Are you not awake yet? I mean, we got stuff to do, right? This is where they're, they're at. And this is where, where certainly we can find ourselves, because he tells them this warning, this really serious warning, and, and he's just coming off the, the heat of what just took place. So you can even just kind of picture the posture of Jesus after dealing with these people. This, this another Satan attack, if you will. And the anger that he had towards this, and they hop in the boat, and he immediately addresses them. You could just feel and sense the seriousness of all of this. That he wants to teach these men who he loves so that they aren't taken by this leaven and destroyed by it. And their response is this. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> oh, leaven? Bread? Oh, you were supposed to bring the bread. No, I thought you had the bread. No, I didn't have the bread. You said you were going to take it. I took it last time. 
Where's Peter? Peter, come here. You're supposed to be in charge. You really dropped the ball this time. After this wonderful spiritual truth from our Lord, they begin to talk about the lack of bread. So the Pharisees, those who are dead asleep, those who just constantly refuse the truth, this angers the Lord and causes him to move away. But praise be to God, this is not his response with those who follow. Thank God that in my times in my spiritual walk where I just have fallen back asleep, that it didn't anger Jesus. It did, however, grieve him. It does grieve him. It breaks his heart. We know this because we're told in Ephesians 4, do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't break the Spirit of God that lives within you. His heart. He wasn't upset that they didn't understand the parable that he gave. That's not what broke his heart. What broke his heart is they still don't understand who's in the boat with them. They still don't fully comprehend. Who it is that is with them. And so he gives a series of questions. This is, this is as we walk in our lives, we hit these, these parts in our life where we are up against it. There's no doubt. It's difficult. There's difficulty. And the response of the flesh wants to be anxiety and fear. We want to just focus in on our trouble and our difficulty and our lack of bread, if you will. And we'll go to God. We'll even say to God, God, please help me. And we're waiting for him to give us a response or an encouraging word. But sometimes he's not giving us a response or a directive. He's giving us a series of questions that are caused by a broken heart. He says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread when I'm standing right here? Why are you discussing your lack of money when I'm right here? Why are you constantly discussing your wayward children? I'm right here. I'm sovereign. Why are you constantly discussing your limitations and not seeing that I'm here with you and just praising my abilities? Why are you discussing constantly the fact that you have no bread when you have me? Do you not yet perceive or understand, he asks, asks them? There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a difference between being able to get all the Sunday school answers correct. This is even the danger for pastors as we study the Word of God to not make it just an academic activity, 
but to constantly bring our hearts to the table to allow those truths to seriously infect and affect us, that we might understand and perceive all that is Jesus Christ. Some of us are content with just our understanding, intellectual understanding, and haven't leaned in enough to a real, true perception and understanding of who he actually is and who we are in him. If somebody were to say to you, and this isn't a back and forth, but just think about this. If somebody were to say to you, who are you in Jesus Christ? Would you be able to respond with confidence? If not, you probably heard Jesus ask you this in your spirit, whether you realize it or not, more than once. Do you not understand or perceive? You're not acting like one of my children because you haven't understood or perceived. You're as anxious as the world because you haven't understood or perceived. It says, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? Are are they set only on this world? He says to him, having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? I mean, to to us, it's kind of like, listen, at once you were blind and deaf, but I removed the scale from your eyes and I have unplugged your ears. Why do you remain deaf and blind? Why? That breaks my heart, all that I have done for you. And still you walk in angst. You walk in anger. You bicker back and forth. You're seeped in sin and wonder how you can get a hold of yourself. You read book after book after book of self-help, but you deny the holy word of God. This breaks his heart to pieces. After all that he has done, after who he is, is, it's incredible. And again, he is not saying this to us so that we might feel bad. He is saying to this, this to us so that we might wake up. Wake up, sleepy Christian. The time is now to wake up. He says, do you, do you not remember? <laughs> do you not remember all that I have done for you, all that I have promised you? snap out of the spiritual amnesia and remember, and then he helps them remember. This is what he'll do for us if we just were able to get quiet enough with his word in our hand and prayerful enough and just be awake enough, we can hear him just recall, just like he did to them. Don't you remember when I fed the 4,000 and the 5,000? And there's this back and forth that that he's engaging with them to help them with their faith and their understanding. This is what he'll do with us. Remember those times you thought you were donezo and I came and I saved you over and over and over and over. Remember. Wake up and remember. He's pleading with them. In verse 21 he says, do you not yet understand? So for the Pharisees, And those who are deeply asleep and constantly deny, he walks away. But for you and I, praise God, he is not done with us yet. He says, yet, understand. In other words, I'm going to keep at you. 
I'm going to keep at you. But life is so much better wide awake as a Christian. So much better to walk in the truths of Jesus Christ, to walk in understanding, to walk awake, to deny the flesh, deny those initial reactions to life in this world, and to remember who we are in him. Are you asleep or are you awake? And again, if you're sleeping, this isn't a beat you up session. This is a, a, an opportunity to try to, Jesus wants to wake us up. I think he wants to wake the American church up. He's not giving up on us. He loves us. We're breaking his heart. And he wants us to wake up. The question becomes, when we look at this scene, How many loaves are in the boat? Mark did something interesting here. And I think he did it for the reader because it doesn't have any consequence to the, to the story of the people involved in the story. In verse 14, he says, now, the, now they had forgotten to bring bread. They forgot to bring bread altogether. But Mark tells us that they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And then they began to discuss the fact that they have no bread. And Jesus says, why do you say that you have no bread? See, guys, when we're asleep and we look in our boat, when we're sleeping, we don't see bread. And we miss the truth of God. We miss the love of God. We miss the power of God. But when we're awake, when we're awake, we see that we have the loaf of life the bread of life that we aren't without as long as we have Jesus. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us as we tend to nap, as we tend to take a long time to wake up. God, your, your persistence and your love for us we owe our everything to you for that. God, and I, I just pray, Father God, that if I'm sleeping in any area of my life, that you would wake me up. And, and if this church is sleeping in any, please, God, in your mercy, in your love, please wake us up. Allow us to see that we have the bread of life in our boat. That nothing is impossible without you. Help us to recall, to remember all of the times that you've come through. Help us to recall and remember all the promises that you have given us. Help us to walk in the truth of who we are in you. I pray for those that are sound asleep. I pray, God, that we continue to do whatever we can to reach them, God. I pray that, that you would, like you have done for us in your mercy, remove the scales from their eyes and unplug their ears that they might see and hear and perceive and understand that God loves them beyond our conception. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.